You're listening to episode 91 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Will Hamilton. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. My name is Mirban Iranshad and my goal is to help you improve your tennis game. I have lately been playing a lot more tennis, I'd say, especially with the weather warming up and continuing my involvement in my 9-5 combo leagues and my uh, 5-0 league. And I'm also starting up a 5-0 league in another county near me, but happy to say that my 5-0 men's team, my being actually, uh, I'm on that team, but I'm not captaining that team. Um, My friend Sam is captaining that team, and we are guaranteed uh, the win in our league, so we'll be advancing straight to, to sectionals. But I've lately been trying to concentrate a lot on, of course, improving my game and more specifically a weight distribution. I think that's very important in the game um, to maximize your the power and spin that you're getting on your strokes. It's really a lot about making sure you get that rotation and transferring that weight to the back foot and then efficiently transferring that weight to the front foot. So I've been trying to really keep that in mind, those concepts, so that I can hit uh, bigger backhands, especially in bigger serves. Uh, I, I, I have found that I do this very naturally on my forehand side, perhaps because I'm a righty, um, but I definitely have to work at it more so on my backhand and my serve. So... It's definitely always a work in progress, but really enjoying the continual improvement and trying to be consistent and starting with my morning of trying to get the jog in immediately after waking up while actually having a glass of water and then going for a run. And I'm actually very fortunate to have a tennis court nearby me. So actually what I end up doing is jogging for about 10 minutes straight to the tennis court and then doing a series of footwork exercises and and then I stretch afterwards, take a shower, journal a bit, plan out my day in my planner and then get to work uh, for an hour or two uh, before I go to my full-time job. So anyways, uh, I know that's kind of a long detour, but you know, I always like to give a little bit of my insight before we start the show, at least when I remember to. And I'm definitely really excited to uh, share this interview with you. And today's special guest is Will Hamilton, uh, who's actually a good friend of mine. And we practice quite a bit. Uh, we play tennis. I'm very fortunate to live only a few miles away from Will. Uh, Will's a great guy. He's done a lot in the tennis world, as you may know, at fuzzyyellowballs.com, as well as his YouTube channel. Uh, he's definitely one of the most well-known online tennis instructors in the game today. And it's really fun to always uh, to, to train with him and share ideas. And I had him on my uh, tennis summit uh, several months ago, actually. 
And uh, we talked about all the lessons that Will has learned from the game's greatest players. And these are really, really cool that will be very cool for you to learn about. And I mean, Will has really done an incredible job in the tennis world. He's partnered with some of the most incredible players that you'll ever hear about in the game, such as Patrick Rafter, Bob and Mike Bryan. Gigi Fernandez, who I've had on uh, Tennis Summit 2018, Craig O'Shaughnessy, who was also on Tennis Summit 2018, Dr. Mark Kovacs, and Faisal Hassan, among several others. And uh, Will's learned a lot, uh, along with everybody who is uh, who has seen his courses and videos from these legends. And so it's it's going to be a really fun conversation today. I really encourage you to have a notepad or notebook ready or If you're on the computer, uh, break out Microsoft Word or Google Sheets, or actually, I guess Google Docs might be better. But in any case, definitely a lot of great little golden nuggets for you all to jot down and then figure out, you know, which ones you might want to implement in your game. With that fairly long introduction, I guess I'd say, especially in this fast-paced world, I would like to start up this interview. So... Without further ado, here is my interview with my good friend, Will Hamilton. Hey everyone, I'm Mirabhan Aranshad and we're here at Tennis Summit 2018 to talk about uh, lessons learned from the legends with my friend Will Hamilton. Uh, it's really fantastic uh, to, you know, to be friends with Will. I actually found out uh, by meeting him uh, one time in D.C. that he actually lives like two miles from me. <laughs> and so it's crazy. Like we've been hitting, you know, sporadically when Will isn't making like fantastic content and, and uh, it's been really cool. So uh yeah, well, um, I'm really happy to have you here. And I just, you know, to tell the audience a bit about you for those who don't know you, um, Will is the founder of Fuzzy Yellow Balls, where he uh, constructs fantastic videos, um, you know, both free and uh, premium content uh, that, you know, millions of people have checked out and I, I watch on a regular basis. And it's really, uh, really in- instructional and it shows you, you know, how to become a better tennis player. There's, and he's worked with so, so many fantastic players and uh, experts who we'll get into uh, later who he's, he's uh, worked with. And uh, funny enough, Will is also uh, coached in the in the DC area, which is where I'm from as well. And will you, you, did you work at, uh, was it congressional? Uh, I worked at, uh, well, Mira, thanks for having me here, man. I think it was sure. pinstripes that we ran into each other, right? Yeah. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. Uh, I think we were chatting and then eventually didn't your girlfriend come over and it was like, you're ignoring, like, I think you, cause like you would left your group or something. It was like, yeah. Dude, you gotta go back and hang out with your friends or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just like, oh man, this is Will Hamilton. We were just like talking about the sport or something. It's one of those conversations where you just go down a rabbit hole. And then like I was with my buddies, like ignoring my buddy Eric, like ignoring him. And he was sort of sitting there like this. Yeah. And then I think like your girlfriend came over like, you got to go pay attention to your friend. So it was just funny because it was one of those combos where we just ignored everybody else. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was a junior, it was JTCC. So the Tennis Center College Park is where I used to uh, coach. Ian Westerman was uh, congressional. That's right. That's yeah, right. It's weird because like DC has like this, it was this interesting like nexus of online tennis instruction. And Ian and I were like the first two guys to do it. It's just random that it was DC where there's so many, you know, so many online guys. Yeah, it's just incredible. I mean, what, what both of you guys have done. And, you know, Ian obviously is on the summit too. And, uh, yeah, I remember seeing you both like in a Forbes article. And uh, just, that's pretty cool, man. You're in Forbes, you know, doing all that. Yeah, was cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, well, obviously I really do appreciate, you know, you joining. It's fantastic to have you. And, I mean, you work with so many incredible people 
people. It's really amazing, you know, first off, how you've made these connections. It's obvious it's because people have noticed like the great work you've done, but you know, some people uh, who we'll get into is, you know, your insights like the Brian brothers, Martina Nevertilova, Pat Rafter, Mark Kovacs, uh, Faisal Hassan, uh, and Craig O'Shaughnessy who's also on the summit. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just great, great stuff. And, um, let me just ask you, you know, man, what is the secret to connecting with all these people? Man, I, I don't know if I have a good, uh, a good answer to that. I can tell you how it started. Um, so I worked at the Junior Tennis Champion Center, and there's a coach there named Frank Salazar. Or he, was, he was there at the time. This was back in 2005 is when I started coaching there. And so Frank is a very good friend of mine, but he's also, uh, he developed um, Dennis Kudla, who's a professional tennis player. Uh, and he developed Francis Tiafo, who is, you know, one of the top Americans. And this is, I mean, Francis could easily win a major. Um, mm-hmm. he's, he's got top 10, if not, you know, top five talent. Um, so and it's funny because when I was at the tennis center, uh, Francis lived there with his dad, who was, was basically the janitor and, uh, or groundskeeper. He was the ground keeper um and uh francis would run out of like basically the broom closet every uh every morning when I showed up for work. So it's crazy. There's like a little kid who was five or six at the time and, you know, would just run around and hit tennis balls with whoever wanted to hit with them. Um, now uh, is, you know, going to could be one of the top 10 players in the world, if not top five and definitely has talent to, to win a major. So anyway, somewhat of a tangent. So Frank, um, Frank developed uh, Dennis, Dennis was represented by a guy named Sam Duvall, who also represents John Isner, and at the time was part of the representation group that worked at the Bryans. So Frank connected me with Sam uh, and Sam just thought what we were doing is cool. So we worked out a deal to do something with the Bryans and then it sort of just went from there. So I think the secret is just complete luck. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So so that's that's what it takes, man. But you obviously put yourself in a great position, you know, because Sam like recognized your great work. Like if you were sitting on the couch eating Cheetos and you wouldn't have had that opportunity, which I'm sure you do after we play tennis. But. <laughs> the Cheetos for sure, man. The so Mirabon's forehand. So I'm a lefty too. So you go the you go the uh, the righty like lefty topspin hook to the lefty's forehand's not a not fun to deal with. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate it. I mean, you you obviously are a great player too. Um, we have some great great sets and tiebreakers, and it's always competitive. So um, for those of you who don't know, obviously Will can play you know great tennis as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> and, uh, so obviously, like I said, I'm really excited to have you on because you've, I mean, you've worked with incredible people and you obviously have some great insights into like, um, you know, things you've learned from, from these, these great legends. So first off the Brian bros, obviously maybe one of the most famous, uh, groups of a uh, couple of people you've worked with. I want to ask you first off more general question. I mean, what in your opinion makes these twins the most, the, the greatest doubles team of all time? You know, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that uh, because they're, they're not the best athletes out there and they would admit that. Um, and they've talked about that on camera. I think one of the things that wouldn't be obvious to people, so there's all that obvious stuff um, um, that I'm sure you've heard elsewhere. The thing to me is that because they're twins, they've had enough time to kind of experiment with different tactics and techniques that might not have worked or initially and would have blown up a previous doubles team mm. where, so imagine if we played together, for example, and like I was trying, I was freelance poaching on a particular shot and it like wasn't working, but, but, to me, like, I was like, oh, well, this is, it's about to work. Like, I just need to find it. And I feel like the fact that they were twins, 
you know, it, it kind of withstood some some of the tension that would uh, would have ended a, a doubles a doubles partnership um, where there wasn't that familial bond. You know, you look at the pro tour and doubles teams change every six months. And so I don't think there's enough, you know, they don't have enough time to work out the kinks or give somebody else permission to try some things that might not work initially. I mean, that's that's one of the, the tensions, particularly the recreational level. I think everybody who plays doubles knows this, that you don't want to let your partner down. Mm-hmm. And sometimes your partner gets angry at you or you get angry at your partner. And then sometimes often you're like the hell with this. I'm just going to go play with somebody else. Uh, and I think the fact that uh, they grew up together and were always on the court allowed them to kind of work on some nuances of the game that uh, uh, might not have not have uh, been possible elsewhere. The funny thing is, is because they've done that, they actually carry that over to playing with other people. Like in mixed doubles, they've won 10 grand. I think it's 10 grand slams, might be 11, something like that. But they pretty much say they play the exact same way, but they freelance a ton, even when they're playing with somebody they've never played with before or rarely play with because they just know what to look for and they you know, if the ball is slightly like here versus there or something like that, they, they kind of have this crazy anticipatory power. Um, I don't know. That was, hopefully that makes sense. That was a little long winded. No, that's perfect, man. I appreciate, you know, those insights that you have where, yeah, obviously because you've been hanging out with them and filming and, and learning from them. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, obviously, you know, being twins family, they have a way more time to, to, you know, uh, like try out plays and stuff. And like you said, you know, there's so much turnover. Like one of my friends, Tread Huey, who's from this area, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah like, guy, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's a wonderful guy. He's been on the Tennis Files podcast as well. But, you know, you see him with like Dom Inglot one year and then you see him with uh, Max Mirny the next year and then you see him with, uh, you know, uh, Leander one year. And so it's, it's crazy. Like, and I, it makes sense, you know, like you kind of, you don't want to like do too many crazy things because then like your partner will, th- will think you're, you're crazy and then just like drop you and then no one wants to play with you. But, yeah, um, I think I think what I'm trying to say more concisely is that they give each other permission to make mistakes. Mm, yeah. So I should have started with that, but we got, we made it there. We got there. That's right. That's the main thing, man. You just get there. So, but um, yeah. And obviously, you know, you filmed like a credible course with them. It did so well because people loved it. And I'm just curious as to, to ask you like maybe a couple of your biggest takeaways, you know, from filming with them, whether it's like strategic or technical or anything. Yeah, for sure. So this is something that I, I first learned from them. So there's, there's a couple things. I mean, their goal is to always get to, they, they refer to it as the secret sauce to their success. And it's literally get as close to the net as possible, mm. hit the easiest volley possible um, because from up there, angles open up. And most importantly, this is actually a line I learned from Martina Navratilova just to put a, a, a very specific outcome you're looking for. You're trying to hit down on the ball in doubles. You want your opponents hitting up and you want to hit down. And obviously, the closer you get to the net, the more likely you're able to hit down on the ball. Mm -hmm. So what Bob and Mike do is their entire game is designed to set themselves up as fast as possible with a volley, an easy volley where they can hit down on the ball. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because it doesn't matter. um, You know, it's funny. It's funny. The longer I've been in this, you pick up more and more that reinforces various things you already knew, but it's it's new kind of twists or insights. So um, here's the power of being able to hit down, being that close to that. And this is actually a Craig O'Shaughnessy stat mm. uh, from doubles. So Craig, uh, he, he is the stats guy, the Billy Bean of tennis, if for all you baseball fans out there. But one of the most interesting stats he had from doubles was at the baseline, you are going to hit one winner for every three errors you make. So one winner, three mistakes. At the net, 
you're going to hit two winners for every one error. And you're talking about these are the best players in the world, the best ground strokes in the world. Rafa, Fed, you know, Kyrgios, whoever. They're still only hitting one winner for every three errors because the net and that positioning specifically is so much more powerful than your than any shot somebody possesses. So, you know, if that's the case at the pro level, imagine at our level how it's impossible to win at the at the baseline against an evenly skilled match team if the other team is up at the net against you. Can't do it. Yeah, that's super uh, interesting uh, stat there, uh, Will. And I, when you mentioned like the, you know, the one uh, one winner to two errors and, and, and so forth, like is there any sort of like stat that like talks about like the force error, you know, like where you're not hitting a winner, but you're like hitting a force error. Like, I don't know if there's any like insight. I didn't, that. to my knowledge, Craig hasn't drilled down on that, but I'm sure like some of those errors from the baseline were forced, you know, the other guys at the net, you have to come up with a passing shot or he just hits it right at your feet and you miss it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I could totally, I could totally see that. I would expect, frankly, that'd be part of the uh, equation there. Yeah, totally, totally. And then, like, as far as, you know, um, some top plays like that that you've seen the Bryans run or that they, like, talked about, um, you know, in one of the courses, like, you know, like, you know, when one of them serving, one's at the net, obviously, like, Mm -hmm. can you talk about a couple of those, like, solid, you know, doubles plays that they might have, like, talk this through um sure well i'll talk about i'll talk about the the unconventional ones um one of them is when uh they're one up one back and they're typically returning so the baseline guy that the returner can't get to the net uh they because their forehand's in the middle but if you're right-handed in the ad court you can do this too after the return mike will shift over so he's hitting mostly forehands but he will only either hit basically the forehand down the line or through the middle, never hard cross court Mm. because he's trying to get the ball low on the net guy, get the net guy to pop up the volley so Bob can cross and put that ball away. So basically Mike's trying to hit a shot that sets Bob up to poach on the next ball. And and you can obviously, everybody watching can do that at their level, even if you're playing with another righty, so that'd be a backhand volley for uh, for your net partner. But the reason they don't go hard cross court is because that exposes uh, Bob at the net now, because now the volley or, or the baseline guy could go down Bob's line. So it opens up the angles. Mm, mm. So basically by only going line, when Mike only goes line or middle, it shuts off the angle for the volleyer to either go at Bob or come back to Mike. Gotcha. Great. So yeah, without a visual that might be, hopefully that came across. The other one is they have this thing called the bounce overhead guy, where if they get a lob uh, that they let bounce, um, Mike will take it. Bob will shade off of the court. So he basically runs into a into because he runs into a doubles alley. Mike hits it and Bob runs into the middle of the court. He's right at the net and he tries to spike any ball that's back through. Hmm. So the reason they do it is because how many times have you overcooked an overhead? You know, you get an overhead, you're like, I gotta end the point on this guy. So to take all the pressure off of overhitting an overhead, Mike will basically hit a good overhead, probably through the middle to cut off angles, and then Bob will run in and try and pick off any ground stroke. Hard to create a, a good angle off of if you're hitting a ground stroke, it's hard to angle that ball. So Bob will probably pick it off. And if there's another lob, then they just rinse repeat the play. Mike's back already, so he can take another bounce overhead. Wow. So it's it's a it's a strategic way to to uh, uh, maintain control when somebody's lobbing you, um, but they're hitting decent enough lobs where you can't put the overhead away. Yeah, I love that play. It's brilliant, man. I mean, yeah, that, I good. think yeah. I mean, I think we should all like tell our partners just like, hey, man, you know, I've I've got you covered. You know, you you don't have to feel pressure to yeah. hit a huge overhead and um, you know do that shade play too. So that's awesome. 
Um, and, and that, to go back to what I was saying before, is one of those things that Bob and Mike sort of just figured out through trial and error and experimentation because they allowed each other to make mistakes and test stuff out. I feel like that's a, a an uncommon play, right? Yeah, yeah, no, totally, exactly. Um, but obviously, you know, if you have time with your partner, definitely, you know, try those out. Um, and also, too, just curious, you know, obviously, maybe this is like not as common, you know, for people out there, but I, I'm curious, you know, like, for the lefty-righty combo, have you kind of gleaned any particular, like, uh, strategies or tips, like, if we have, like, that sort of combination? Man, I mean, you know, it, it, it really varies. Like, uh, Bob and Mike, like, forehands in the middle. I like that, too, because I think it really is an advantage when you, the net player always has their favorite volley. Hmm. Um, and, like, when you don't have that, then who has the backhand volley in the middle, right? Whoever plays – if it's two righties, then whoever's playing deuce has a backhand volley in the middle. So like another person we work with, Gigi Fernandez, says when you're picking sides, whoever plays deuce, one of the main considerations is does that person have the better backhand volley when they're at the net because the ball's going to be coming through the middle, right? So that's how Gigi looks at it. But then Martina Navratilova was a lefty and she wanted to play the ad court, right? So it was the opposite of what Bob and Mike do. Mm. And, you know, Mar Martina's whole thing was, this is convenient for Bob and Mike, Martina's whole thing is the best returner should be in the ad court uh, because, you know, obviously if the break points over there, you're more likely to win it. But if it's a, uh, if it's an add in, then the, the serving team's less likely to get out of the game if on, you know, if they're serving to the better returner and add. And for the Bryans, it's convenient because Mike's the better returner. So they have the lefties in the middle or they have the four hands in the middle and then the righty in the ad court, who's the Mike, the better returner. So they kind of get the both the best of both worlds, but I, I think that's such a nuanced a nuanced question. I don't know if I would have a particularly good answer. I would probably be better just raising issues, and then everybody watching can kind of pick their poison. Gotcha. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Totally. Uh, a different different strokes for different folks, but um, just in terms of sheer like. Um, you know, I guess uh, character or characteristics that those guys possess, like what's some, one thing that stood out um, as far as, you know, like, yeah, I mean, like say, you know, work ethic or, or, you know, mental fortitude or anything that really popped out at you from these guys? Yeah, that's an interesting question because the, you know, we've worked with like, so like Martina, ha, it, it, you know, is like her attention to detail is incredible. Like she crossed the T's, dots the I's, she's on it. Um, but then like Pat Rafter, who's one of the guys we worked with, mm. is a lot more laid back. Mm. Like, like quintessential, like Aussie, right? Yeah. Um, so it's it's hard to say that there's like a secret sauce to, you know, uh, I shouldn't use secret sauce since that's the get close to the net term. It's hard to... <laughs> Anyway, whatever some other version of the secret sauce is, it's hard to say that like there's one or two specific ingredients that that make the difference. I think it it it's there's a lot of variety, man, with these with these pros, and it's just sort of how they their personalities, how everything stacks up. Um, I'm trying to think of like like I think Mike is is more diligent uh, about um, like Mike's got a very strict. I don't want to say he's more diligent, but Mike's very strict with his diet gluten-free. Mm -hmm. I think Bob does whatever, <laughs> you know, not to say that one's better than the other. Um, it's just, yeah. you know, I think there's more than one way to get it done. Yeah, totally. Totally. And, um, I'm dodging the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, what can you do? You know, it's, it's you know, we're, we're both Washingtonians. So we're very good at talking a lot and saying absolutely nothing. That's right. We'll be running for office soon. Exa exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the tennis crats. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I like it. 
Yeah, thank you. And so obviously, uh, you know, Brian's amazing, amazing players. And then, so you mentioned obviously Martina and Gigi. And so I'll go with uh, Martina first. Um, and it's kind of a similar question to what I opened with uh, with the Brian's. I'm just curious, you know, what you admire most about Martina? Um, <laughs> it's one of the, so I made this joke. The reason I'm, I'm hesitating again is the very first thing uh, uh, I said to Martina when we started rolling, because uh, we had done a lot of research, and I was talking to her about going to her Wikipedia page. And when you do that, the scroll bar gets like, like it starts like this, but then it gets tinier and tinier as the page loads, right? Uh-huh. You know, and it's like hard to click on and drag because it's so small. Uh-huh. When you ask that question, the same thing was happening in my mind. I'm like, oh man, this like long list of stuff that I have <laughs> Wikipedia pages is, is, uh, is loading. Um, do you have like a, can you sharpen? <laughs> that question. <laughs> hmm, let's see. Let me think. Let me put on my interview hat. Um, let's see. So uh, I think here's here's a good one. Here's a good okay. one. Her her longevity is really impressive. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she won her first major. This is one of the research things I did. And uh, uh, oh no, now I'm messing it up. Seventy maybe it's seventy four. Uh, let's see. Seventy four plus thirty two is two thousand six, right? Seventy four plus thirty two. Yeah, 2006. Yeah. I'm dyslexic, never do math on camera. <laughs> uh, yeah, so she won her first major in 74 as an 18-year-old, and her last just shy of her 50th birthday, she was 49, she won U.S. Open Mixed Dubs with Bob Bryant, actually. It's crazy. Um, and apparently the person she won with in 74 was also a lefty, is what she told me. Wow. Uh, that was, um, so that was just, you know, um, <laughs> small world, I guess. But um, to be able to be that good that long, I think, is just a testament to uh, – uh, the kind of champion she was, the preparation she um, always went through, like I said, across the T's, down the eyes, the work she put in. Uh, and I think just the ability to adapt her game, because when she was winning in the 70s and 80s, she was at the you know top of her athletic game. And, you know, in your mid, th- I'm 36 now, like, man, you can see the decline coming, <laughs> right? And um, uh, to still be able to beat people more than half her age to a large extent, you know, in the early aughts is 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 impressive. And I think it's a testament to uh, the fact that tennis is, is such a game of strategy and skill, right? Uh, and I think the strategy is, is the part that tends to get overlooked. People, people see the great shots, um, you know, whether it's Federer's beautiful strokes or Rafa, you know, such a physical, powerful game. And you get mesmerized that by that. You sometimes tend to ignore um, the nuances of the game or the strategy behind it. Yeah, totally. And uh, when you t- talk about longe- longevity, excuse me. Um, yeah, like I, I immediately pictured her um, like playing basketball because I know she like she tried like, you know, she like cross trained basically. She played all yeah. these different sports. And I think that really like kept her in shape too and uh, and healthy and and uh, kept her really, really athletic. So I picked her up. So we filmed in Palm Springs, uh, California, mm. and I picked her up at the airport. She was coming in from uh, – Colorado where she was skiing mm. and then we shot the next day and then the day after that she went to play golf so nice. she's, she's quite the athlete <laughs> yeah totally totally that's that's pretty cool and yeah and um so you know again like in filming with her working with her what are maybe one or two top takeaways like you know tennis wise that we can transfer um it may be like you know keep in mind ourselves. Yeah. So, so here's an interesting like comparison. It's like Bob and Mike have played together for their entire lives and they've, um, um, uh, so they played with each other their entire lives. That, that very articulate. Um, <laughs> uh, we have an editor. <laughs> yeah. 
Edit everything. Um, so to contrast that with Martina, who has won, I think it's like seven, 177 doubles titles with something like 44 different partners yeah. or something. I think 18, she, she has 31 Grand Slam doubles titles. Uh, I think 18 of them were with Pam Shriver, somewhere in that range, and the other 13 are with other partners. Uh, and I don't know, I can't remember what the breakdown was with the mixed doubles. But then just again, like 177 WGA titles. And 40 some odd different partners. And I find that incredible that she is able to adjust. She has her game, but her ability to adapt to her partner instantly was incredible. We actually spent a lot of time talking about that, about how based on subtle positioning differences, when let's say she's serving and she has a partner who stands. So typically, you know, the traditional advice is serving in the deuce court, serve tee, cut off the angles, try and set your partner up to poach at the net. But if she had a partner who was either a little passive or stood too far to the alley, it would create this hole in the middle for the opponent to hit through. So what she would do is start serving actually out wide because now the ball is crossing, coming back across her net partner and she's bringing her partner into the into play. So little subtle things like that, uh, that she just sort of recognized. And and I don't want to say she intuitively knew what to do based on the strengths and weaknesses of her partner. Cause I think, I think it became intuitive, but she had to figure that out as she, uh, as she played with all these different partners and kind of collected this whole, I guess, playbook of like different little adjustments based on what her partner was doing. Same thing getting older. I mean, she has this thing, you know, she was talking about how as she got older and she served, she's a certain volley player. She, you know, when she was 20, she'd be hitting her volleys a little inside the service line. When she was 30, she was hitting them on the service line. When she was 40, she was hitting them a little, a couple feet behind the service line. And as that happened, the type of volley she, she hit actually changed. So when she's closer to the net because she can hit down, she's sticking the volley more, right? But as she gets further back and can't hit down as much, she actually would now take pace off the ball and hit kind of, she'd hit lower over the net and actually use her volley to pull the, the baseline player in, force the baseline player to hit up on the ball. Because what she realized was if she was playing a volley deeper, she'd have to hit up her volley, which sit up higher and it would allow the other players to rip. So she actually started drawing the other player and keeping the ball low to again, force them to hit up and maintain that advantage of being able to hit down. So she called that the the one that the volley that short low down the middle, the newt volley, like a, like a lizard, mm-hmm. any WT. Um, and when she, I, it's, if you've ever seen that video, because we have this all on video, she says like Newt. She's talking about. It. I'm like, wait, what did you just call that? She's yeah. like, Newt. I'm like, oh, like what? Like like uh, lizard? She's like, yeah. <laughs> like, all right, well, learn something new every day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's brilliant, you know. And it it just really shows how you have to really be thinking on the court. And there's not like you know, a lot of people think that there's like one technique for the volley. And in, in sure. actuality, there's you know, as you mentioned, there's so many different ways and techniques of hitting different volleys. And uh, actually, Faisal had a great presentation on the tennis technique summit last year about the different types of volleys. So, um, yeah, brick wall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, I mean, I think well, I think like. The big takeaway here, particularly for, for you know most of the people watching your stuff or recreational players, uh, adult players, is in dubs, the lob is such a big issue. You want to cut the lob out, start volleying short and low. Mm-hmm. Bring the other person in. It's easy to lob when you're at the baseline, the ball's high, you know, and you got more court to work with. But you pull them in, then they're digging the ball off their shoelaces, and their lob isn't going to have the same trajectory. It's going to be more sort of up and down versus through the court. So it's harder to get it over your head. Right, right. Yeah, that's a great one, man. And so, um, obviously, we mentioned Gigi. Uh, she is on the summit as well. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, incredible, like, doubles player, 17 Grand Slams. And, uh, 
Yeah, number one in the world. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, man. And and so, you know, obviously, it's funny. The first two that we talked about, the Brian Bros and Martina, um, crazy good doubles players, and, and Gigi is too. So what's maybe like a different uh, thing that you learned from her that, um, you know, you n- maybe not learned before or it was really illuminating? I think one of the things, I think the thing that Gigi has done that nobody else has, it because Gigi now works with adult players, is she really sat down and she thought, well, what? did I do and my contemporaries do, my peers, that an adult player, a recreational player, 303540 can emulate. Uh, and she was able to take all this stuff that a lot of the pros are really, really intuitive, right? You ask them what they do and they're like, I don't know, I just swing and the ball goes in. I'm like, well, that's that's cool. Like, fun to watch on TV, but that doesn't give me much information. And so her whole uh, uh, concept of the Holy Grail, the stack. So the Holy Grail is a configuration of all four players on the court. Uh, your team's in the stagger. The other team is in uh, the highway to hell. I'm not going to give away her. That's her stuff. So go watch Gigi's segment if you want to know what that stuff is, if she talks about it. Um, but that's her material, so I don't want to give it away. Uh, but that those ideas are fascinating um, and how basically um, – they were able the, to to sort of so Gigi was spent most of her career in the 20s or 30s on the singles tour, and so did her partner Natasha Zvereva. But they figured out basically um, how to uh, how to divide and conquer. Basically, so like they found that if they could work together really well um, out of this formation called the stagger and maneuver the other team into the uh, highway to hell. They could basically gang up on one player. So even if that one player is a better singles player, a better athlete, it was two on one. Mm. And so even, even with the superior athletic ability, they weren't, you weren't able to, to beat, uh, you know, the two on one there. So that was really interesting, but a uh, little tease for Gigi's thing. Go watch that. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. She's definitely um, a big expert on this stuff. And so um, Pat Rafter, I mean, that's a hell of a name to get to. I mean, I, I saw, you know, some of the stuff you did with him and uh, just is great stuff. And I want to ask you, you know, obviously his serve is so nasty and I, yeah. you know, what, what makes Pat's serve um, so difficult to deal with in your opinion? Um, well, well, funny, so the thing bounces in a different direction every single time. That's that's the weirdest thing. And I wish I could give you like what he was doing. I mean, he kind of, he would use the clock analogy where it's like, you know, I'm trying to go 11 to five, kind of wrap around the ball is how it should feel when you're doing it. That's sort of how he visualized his swing. Uh, but it was funny, we were shooting, he was like, yeah, man, like I toss it up there a lot of times. And I don't really know where the toss is exactly going to go. It'll sort of be up there, but sometimes it's a little off and I'll just hit it. And so, and he was like, look, you know, I don't really know where the toss is going to be. I don't know exactly how it's going to spin, but the good news is neither does my opponent. Uh, and I can't tell you like all the people who went through Pat's program, that's the number one thing people come back and say to me that they loved about the course. They're like, it was so relatable. Like, he's just like, he can't control his toss. I know exactly how that feels. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, Pat's a great dude. Um, but he is, I mean, what you would expect just having watched, if you've ever watched him on television, just totally laid back, totally cool. He's the exact same in person as, as you know, he was on television. So he's, he's a great guy. Awesome stuff. And, and just to some insight for the audience, like the course that you all filmed, like, was that more of a technical course on like how to hit like effective- serve, basically? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. We covered nice. other stuff like you know his volleys because uh, his volley technique was interesting. Like the the technique, the the thing he said that I've always remembered that helped me a ton, helped a lot of other people is he had this line like that was like 
hit the volley, like hit and feel. So what does that mean? He's basically like hit your volley and then kind of give it a little English, like literally kind of, you know, almost guide the follow through in the direction mm. that you want the ball to go. So yeah, exactly. So you almost end up with your hand, like you're holding a tray, mm. like, you know, and you just hit the ball, I give it a little English in the direction you wanted it to go. And I thought that was a weird tip, but then I tried it and I was like, well, it actually kind of works. And I think I think the reason is is because it stops you from breaking your wrist. Like a lot of people hack down and break the wrist. And so when you do that and kind of give it some English, you actually have a firm wrist. Mm. That's my, you know, trying to figure out what's actually happening after you hit. But I think tips like that, you pick up a ton of them working with these guys and gals where it's just sort of like a little random line that kind of you do it and your your technique falls into place without you overthinking it. Yeah. Which yeah. is the most important thing. Um, so that one I always remember just sort of hit and feel basically awesome. hit a little English in the direction you want the ball to go. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that definitely makes a lot of sense with not breaking the wrist and uh, yeah, that's, that's yeah. interesting. That's not what Pat said. Pat wasn't like it prevents you from breaking the wrist. He's just like, this is what I do. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, I think that, okay, I guess you're not breaking the wrist anymore. Cause everybody's like, you know, it's like the karate job. Yeah, that's right. Um, good stuff, man. I appreciate it. It's a really cool tip there. And, and also I want to ask you too, like maybe one technical tip on the serve. Cause obviously it was a huge stroke. Swing as hard as possible. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Oh, that's actually, that's an important tip because you know, a lot of people like slow it down on the second serve, but I mean, he's like swinging his, you know, really hard on, uh, with his second. So he could produce all that ridiculous spin. Yeah. Well, I was actually joking, but, uh, <laughs> you should, yes, you should pretty much swing as hard as possible. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Good stuff. And, um, let's see what else. That's my advice on the serve. Swing as hard as possible. Just hit it over the fence. Um, <laughs> mine on the serve actually would be, uh, what serve can you hit that produces a return that comes back through the middle? Mm, that's a good that would too. Be, that's, that's how I tend to think about it. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I got this, I, I, you know, I have this theory that at most levels of the game, aces lose you matches because you, you hit a couple aces, but then how many serves, first serve did you miss? And then your opponent gets to tee off on a second serve. So I think the most important thing that I've seen is just making the return extremely predictable and through the middle so that most of the time your next shot's a forehand. Or in doubles, if the return's predictable, then you set your partner up because your partner knows where the ball's going to go. Yeah, that's a great tip. And uh, yeah, I mean, in general, like I, I noticed that you know, like there's certain games that like say in doubles where I like win my serve really easily and I'm like, oh, what was the difference? And it was because I made like four first serves, you know, so yeah. it's like. And your partner posts on all of them probably. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. too. Yeah, you hit a serve and that was it. Point was over. Yeah. You know, you didn't have to hit a volley. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a great one there. And uh, it's more of like a fun question, but, um, you know, obviously at nausea here. So what's one thing that maybe surprised you like as you got to know uh, Pat, you know, something that surprised you about him? Um. Well, I'll give you, so there was, uh, I, I've been authorized to say, to say this cause I, I sought out authorization. Um, we were filming, uh, we were filming this section, um, and I was asking him about doubles and, and just, I can't remember the exact question, but it was basically like, how is the game evolved? He's like, man, well, he's like, mate, you know, nowadays these players have these cannonball serves and their partner just goes right up to the net and puts his tiddlywhacker on the net. And I was like, wait, did you just say, like, I, I was like, wait, did you say that? I tried to keep a straight face and Pat, exactly. Pat keeps going on. And then like 10 seconds later, I start laughing all on camera. <laughs> and so I was like, that's pretty funny. But, uh, with all of these deals I do, um, the entire thing gets to be vetted by their team. Cause obviously you don't, you know, they don't want to embarrass themselves or you yeah. don't want me to represent them in a poor light. So I emailed 
I sent the clip to Pat's agent, Steve, and I was like, hey man, this is pretty funny, but I'm assuming you want to cut it because, you know, he said tiddlywagger. <laughs> and it was pretty funny, Steve, I don't know if it was Aussie or whatever, he was like, nah, mate, it's fine. It's like, all right, well, we're going to put it in there in that case, it's funny. But I sought it out because, you know, you don't, you, your, your job, my number one job is to whoever I work with, make them look good. So, um, and, and part of that is obviously not embarrassing. Uh, so, uh, not that there's anything embarrassing, but uh, something like that, you wanted to, to vet it. I got it vetted. That was approved. I'm not revealing any information I haven't been authorized to reveal. So that one was, I was like, all right, well, it's pretty funny. Really funny. Uh, I think that could mean it maybe blow up if we, uh, you know, you posted that on Twitter or something, but... Uh... I yeah. still have a clip floating around somewhere. Nice, nice. It's on a hard drive somewhere. Yeah, maybe we can, you know, watch it on a on a break, you know, from our extreme <laughs> training. Uh, <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Um, one of my favorite people in the game, uh, Dr. Mark Kovacs. He's uh, really incredible. He's Mark. Mark. Yeah, I mean, he's given so much, you know, to me, like, I just kind of cold emailed him one day and was like, hey, like, you're awesome. Can you be in my podcast? And he was like, oh, sure, you know, so, and uh, he was on the summit last year. He's on again this year. Um, I want to ask you, you know, what makes Mark such a brilliant, you know, wealth of knowledge in the area of sports performance? Man, I'm starting to think it's like because he's Australian. Like, you got Pop, <laughs> was the Aussie, there's, there's Mark, and then there's Craig, too. Craig O'Shaughnessy is also an Aussie. Yeah. So I think that's the answer. That is the answer. Yeah, yeah we have so many Aussies on this uh, this summit here. It's insane. Yeah. The Australian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Would I still be as brilliant if I moved there? Like, would that count or do I have to be born there? I'm not sure how that transitive property works out. Like, if there is a transitive property Mm. or if you have to be an original uh, or, you know, uh, uh, originally from uh, Australia. Yeah. um, Mm. I'll have to find that out. I'll have to ask Craig, you know, or Mark. But, yeah, uh, yeah, well, you know, we'll we'll follow up with you all on that one. But, (laughs) (laughs) Well, and actually it's funny, you know, I, I, I saw his hundred mile per hour course with you guys and I loved it and I actually, I got it, you know, um, and I, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, but what are a couple of key takeaways overall from Mark, you know, it can be from the course or not, um, that you, that you learned and that you think would be really helpful for us to know. Yeah. I mean, the main one is, uh, how your arm moves when you swing. Cause, uh, people talk about pronating and they talk about the wrist snap and what I, you know, so Mark is the world leading expert on serve and he said well what's actually happening is this thing called long axis rotation mm. where your arm and shoulder are turning as a unit so your your forearm is not independently and wrists are not independently pronating it's everything turning as one unit and the reason for that is because to transfer you know marks the world's leading expert on the kinetic chain so uh how do you get all the energy out of your body how do you generate the most energy out of your body transfer it smoothly through your body and then actually get it into the tennis ball. And so that long axis rotation piece is, uh, it creates stability between your shoulder, you know, shoulder, arm, and racket so that uh, via that stable connection, all the energy ends up in the tennis ball. And pronation and the wrist snap are not stable. So uh, at collision, basically, what happens is your arm, if you're pronating or snapping your wrist, it's going to cause you to lose energy. Your, your arm will absorb it, not the tennis ball. Uh, and you actually pronate after the ball is off your, off your strings. Hmm. Um, so I found that fascinating, um, you know, 
that's obviously just like everybody else. I was, you know, assumed you would pronate and snap your wrist because that's what everybody's taught. But um, Mark's research found otherwise. So um, that was the biggest eye opener for me because it spelled such a common, if you want to call it myth, uh, about what you should be doing on a serve. Yeah, great stuff there. And then Mark also kind of talks about like the importance of the weight transfer. So can you kind of like just, you know, talk about that briefly, you know, like what, what that, what he's talking about there? Well, the weight transfer thing was interesting. Um, um, basically he, you know, you load energy in the opposite direction that you want to release it. So you're basically shifting your weight back and down so that you can go up and out. The thing that was interesting to me was he said, think of your back leg. So for me as a lefty, it's my left leg, but all the righties would be your right leg as a rudder, like a ship, you know, a rudder on a ship. And the direction you load your back leg, your rudder is going to affect the direction you release your, basically your body and more specifically your arm goes when you release that energy. So Mark was helping me with my my uh kick serve and he's like yeah man it's more of a uh it's the top spin serve right now so he basically told me to twist back and down more so that i was going more sideways towards towards my left um and it was it was amazing how like instantaneously my ball had more uh hook and kick so if you want to develop more kick, think about really twisting, loading more back and down. People tend to focus on their arm and it's actually your back leg, your back hip. If you load in the right direction, it'll naturally kind of cause the rest of your motion to go the right way, including your arm and ace. Awesome. Thanks a lot for that, Will. It's, it's yeah. a really important concept. That one, that one was like one of the best tips I've ever got. Yeah, Ace is brilliant. Um, obviously, yeah, he's the founder of the ITPA, Kovacs Institute, and doing some really cool research there. Um, and I'm a proud member of the ITPA as well. Um, uh, certified, right? <laughs> what's that? You're certified, aren't you? Certified, that's right, yeah. What's the cert? I need proof. Proof, I'll, I'll email you the... Uh, it's like a nice round circle with my name. I'll, I'll send it to you. Nice. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know a lot about fitness now. Um, I actually do. But uh, yeah. And one of my favorite people, uh, Faisal Hassan. Uh, first off, what convinced you to bring Faisal onto Team FYB? Uh, I mean, you know, how much time do you have? Um, I first met him at uh, U.S. Tennis Congress in 2013. Mm. And I moderated him on a, on a panel. Mm. And you just, you know, you listen to the guy talk about the game uh, for for a short period of time and you just can tell he knows his stuff. So I just think the way he, you know, it's for, for example, the catch hammer brick wall, those three types of volleys, just being able to take a complicated shot and break it down into those simple ideas, I think um, is is so key. I mean, the best advice I've ever, I, I, I get from anybody, whether it's the Bryans, Martina, Gigi, Pat, Mark, Craig, Faisal. And the thing I look for is can they take something complicated and make it very simple? Uh, so I, I I think that was a good example of what uh, uh, of what Faisal was able to do, and you know, the guy's just been in the trenches for so long, mm. um, and really has his ear to the ground. So I think uh, he's very, very in tune with recreational players, which is important for what for what uh, what we do because we're able to test things very quickly. Like we just recently charted 450 matches of. Uh, basically between 3-0 and 3-5 players to figure out where most of the unforced errors came from. And we found that 85% of them were decision errors and not execution errors. So an execution error is you just swing and you just didn't execute the shot. But a decision error is where you hit the wrong shot and then a couple shots later, you hit the wrong shot, it puts you in a bad position, so a couple shots later, you miss. Uh, and I refer to it as the domino effect, right? So you tend to think of the last domino, the actual miss, and you're like, man, I got to work with my backhand. Like, I just, you know, mm. got to, the, the shot's not working. 
And it's like, dude, you were on the run stretched because three shots before you hit a stupid down the line forehand mm-hmm. that then had your opponent running you around the court, you know, uh, like you're on a, you know, a string or something like that. And so you blame the wrong thing. You blame the last domino where it's the first domino that was actually the source of the problem. So that's the kind of uh, uh, work Faisal's been doing. So that's uh, a, 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 a circuitous, long-winded way of explaining why we brought him on board. Yeah, it's brilliant stuff. I mean, what you just mentioned, you know, like, yeah, it's just so true. Um, You know, you got to think about the entire point and what what actually transpired instead of just like the immediate what happened there. So, um, and and so just to clarify, so he is Faisal like the head of education for FYB. Is that his position? Uh, Well, technically, he's chief operating officer. He has many skills, so some are seen and others are unseen uh, to the general public. Uh, so you could you could call him uh, uh, director. What did you just say, director? Edu- like head of education is what I kind of said. Something I sure sure. Well, any title he wants, he can have. Nice, nice. <laughs> but Definitely. COO is the uh, uh, the primary one. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. And uh, yeah, I just love Faisal. Um, he's he's fantastic. He's been on the summit last year and this year. And he's, he's really, you know, caring too. Like he'll just call me on a random day in the week and say, Hey, I just w- wondering how like the summit's going and stuff. And like, I really appreciate that. He's a good, he's a good dude. Yeah. He's a great guy. So um, just really uh, privileged to have him. It fits in culturally really well with our, uh, with FYB. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you both are, are great guys. A lot of people don't know this, but um, I mean, I've got to know you both and you're both, you know, great people. So are you um, implying that the impression is otherwise? No, not at all. I'm just saying, you know, sometimes people just, <laughs> no, people just see you like, you know, teaching and stuff and they don't know like the actual you, whereas I. kind of seems like a bum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's he talking about? No, no, you, you guys are cool, man. Um, and so, uh, again, a kind of a fun question. Like, what's the most interesting thing that you've learned uh, in all your hours hanging out with Faisal? I'm trying to think what, uh, what? What can we put on camera? Yeah, keep it PG. (laughs) So as good as Faisal is as as a coach is uh, how bad he is with technology. I do it. (laughs) Exactly, right? I mean, it's so like we're 36 and and so uh, the CTO co-founder of FYB, Adam Siminski, is a technical genius. Like I know my, you know, I, I, I'm just like you good with technology. We grew up with it. I'm not, you know, a ninja or anything. Adam is like a legit ninja. Like, like all the filming we do, we figured out how to do it. He builds the computers. We added video on, I mean, a legitimate like genius. So we sit around and Faisal like struggles to connect to like a Slack call. And we're just like, dude, come on, man. Like I'm trying to figure out what the cutoff, the age cutoff, because Faisal's I think like 53 or something like like, where is it 45? Is it 40? Where there's some like line in there where people over the age of this, you know, it's just struggle bus. And Maybe then we can have Dr. Kovacs do a study on that, you know, like tech performance, you know, he can figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's Craig, then there's Craig. I don't know how Craig, how old Craig is. I think he's probably like mid to late forties, but he's great with, you know, he does all sorts of technology, like, like uh, cool stuff with like formulas on his, his Mac. Hmm. Um, so there are exceptions to the rule, I guess, but man, Faisal, 
Faisal, if you're watching this, buddy, I love you, but who's rough, man? Rough. I feel like we might have to get, uh, you know, an, an okay on this, man. Like, I don't, I hope that he's all right with us. No, there's no okay. There's no okay. Oh, God. All right. We'll, gonna run it. we'll see. I'm tossing him under the bus. <laughs> oh, man. He won't mind. He's, so, he's a cool guy. Uh, cool, cool. And uh, I just want to at least end the insights on uh, Craig O'Shaughnessy. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, you know, we mentioned brilliant strategic mind and one of the best, if not the best out there. And he's on mm -hmm. the summit. Uh, very privileged to have him on. And you work with him on some great courses some singles and double strategy courses. So what are some, uh, and you may actually mentioned a couple, but what are maybe some other statistics that you learned from Craig, which really surprised you quite a bit? Uh, surprised? Um, actually in doubles, I used that line earlier, aces lose you matches. Yeah. He actually has a stat, like he dug up the stats. The team that hits the most aces in doubles tends to lose. Wow. Yeah, and I th and it's because so in doubles first serve percentage for the guys and gals rises about seven percent. I think was Craig's stats because um, you got to get a lot of first serves in because you need to set your partner up to poach right. It's basically whoever can take over the net. It's a race to get to the net right. So uh, it's not a race to hit huge serves. And so that was one of those crazy stats. Like if you hit the team that hits the most aces loses. So aces lose you matches. So that one was really fascinating. Uh, I think anything like related the court position the court positioning ones are the most interesting for me in a way because I think they give you the most insight in terms of something anybody at any level can do, right? You know, it's one thing to be like, well, hit 130 miles an hour out wide and then close your eyes and hit a tweener drop shot volley. Like Roger Federer can do that, but we can certainly position ourselves better. So to go back to the stat, you know, the, the one winner, three errors from the baseline and the two winners, one, one uh, error at the net, the other one for singles that was interesting was it's it's not a hundred percent, but it was like it was like basically he looked at a ton of I think it was the U.S. Open, but basically the player that spent more time inside the baseline won the match. So like if we were playing and I was inside the baseline on forty percent of the points, and you were only inside the baseline thirty five percent of the time, I would win. Or it could be I was inside the baseline fifty uh, like like fifty five percent of the time, but you were only inside fifty percent. I would win. And I think the only person that where that correlation didn't hold was Serena Williams. Um, and I might be messing those stats up a little bit. It was a couple of years ago he told me that, but I, it's basically whoever whoever is closer to the net or inside not closer to the net, inside the baseline the most wins. And that just gives you, that, that's like an interesting, like the implications of that, right? Uh, in terms of where you should be positioning yourself and how you should maneuver your shots around the court so that you get better and better position and closer and closer, but you also keep your opponent back. And if you think of like, think of it this way, think of like a pusher, right? Like a pusher basically just keeps you pusher backs up, but then they keep you, you know, back as well, right? So they're inadvertently, like, people are like, man, how do I lose to this person? And I was like, well, he's beating you from a court positioning standpoint, or at least in this case, he's holding you neutral with him. And so you keep going for more and more off of your forehand and backhand from a deep position in the court where, you know, it's it's like swinging from the fences. You're going you're gonna to strike out more than you hit home runs from back there. Right, right. Yeah. That's great insight. And and just like, you know, with Gigi and some of the others, like, I, I know I don't want to, like, ask you, like, too many questions, you know, because then it might steal uh, Craig's thunder, which we don't want to do for sure. But, right. um, you can't steal Craig's thunder. That's not possible. Not possible. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, probably not. Uh, but, um, you know, as far as, uh, like, maybe just give us, like, your one favorite, either singles or doubles play that um, that he has kind of mentioned that um, you find you, you is makes you ultra, ultra successful. Uh, well, the doubles one, similar to the Brian, really similar to the Brian. So the Brian's taught me the bounce overhead thing back in, like, 2011. Uh, and uh, Craig has one that's very similar where it's basically – if you're one up, one back, and you lob. So, like, we're playing together. We're one up, one back. I'm at the baseline. I hit a lob. You and I should get into the I formation because mm. they're going to re-lob. And a short lob, you cover. A deep lob, I cover. Mm, nice. Yeah, so that one's really interesting. Um, yeah, it obviously, it doesn't always work. Like, the better a team gets, if the person's going to rip it, you wouldn't do that. But if you hit a good lob that gets over the opposing net person and the baseline player on the other side is running to get it, then it would, you would go I. And then uh, it allows, you know, like I said, short guy to cover a short lob, put it away deep guy I can bounce overhead it or something like that you could flow right into Bob and Mike's play gotcha great yeah, stuff that one was a great great play love that one so well you know like moving forward um, if there was somebody you had to like pick to work with and obviously there's like the obvious it's like Roger but is there anybody oh, yeah. who we did it you did it damn yeah <laughs> But like who, you know, who would you want to like pick to work with? Like, um, you know, in, in like a future course, if you, if you could pick anyone. Um, you know, I probably at the moment we're, we're, we really enjoy working with the folks that we've worked with. So it's more yeah. about uh, continuing and deepening those relationships. Mm -hmm. um, so I have to be honest, I haven't thought beyond like, you know, it would be absurd to be able to work with Roger, but uh, you know, um, keep dreaming. Right. So um, I, I think it's, 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 it's hard to do better than, than like Gigi or Bob and Mike or Martina. Yeah. Cause the thing, the thing for me, this is one of the things, um, particularly with Bob and Mike, when I first started, I was sort of like, Oh, this is cool. Let's work with some pros. And I didn't really give it more thought than this is cool. But then, and it makes total sense now when you say it, people are watching and they're saying, well, I can't do that. You know, mm. I can't, uh, one of the objections I got was, or questions was Bob and Mike are six, four and hit one thirty. Mm. I can't do that. So, you know, luckily with Bob and Mike, so much of their advice is so, uh, uh, pertinent because it's positioning, it's where to hit, not how to hit. Mm -hmm. Um, but particularly like when I'm standing, so I'm five, eight, when I stand next to them, it's like, I'm five, eight, they're six, four. Like you see the difference, right? So it creates this uh, perception on camera, maybe subconsciously that, okay, these guys are super athletes and they're superhuman. I can't do some of the stuff that they can do. And the answer is, you're right. You can't do some of the stuff that they can do, but there's so much of what they do. They, they do that you can do. The problem is people tend to focus on what they can't do and ignore the stuff that they can't. Mm -hmm. um, and so looking at, um, I'll take like a player who's retired so I don't step on like any toes, but like, um, da -da 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 -da, who would I... Now I'm trying to go on the tank and think of someone who's like, like, a, like a, like a Goran Ivanisevic would be tough to, tough to work with because he had like a huge lefty bomb serve and he's six four, right? It's like it's hard to teach six four, um, you know, stuff like that, or somebody who's like so. Like, here's a parallel example. Um, it's better to take it out of tennis, uh, <laughs> so I don't step on any toes. Like LeBron James, he is the best player in the NBA. Um, but, and he has so much knowledge, uh, a, a wealth of knowledge. There's a lot of people that would look at him and be like, I can't do that. And you're, you're right. You can't, you're not, 
six, eight, 250, and you know, the strongest jumps the highest. He's the strongest, whatever. But then you look at Steph Curry, who Davidson College, by the way, I went to Davidson, Steph went to Davidson. Um, um, it's really the education that's behind his success. I feel like it's that, it's that diploma. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but he he's one of the reasons he's so popular is that he's relatable because he's standing he's six three tall but in the NBA that's not that tall kind of short he's kind of rank gang in a gangly what am I talking about kind of a lanky there's the word I'm looking for uh, gangly I don't know um, dyslexia I just blame everything on dyslexia like wrong word dyslexic messed up app dyslexic my catch all. Um, but uh, he, uh, you know, you, you, you look at him and, and there's this clear difference between him and LeBron James. Now, the fact of the matter is, you know, Steph Curry has for, you know, uh, has is the best shooter of all time. And, um, you know, I doubt anybody else will ever be as accurate as him. But it just seems like something he seems more relatable. He's not as big. He's not that quick compared to some other guys. So he, he works really hard on his handle. He's got all of those dribbling exercises that people, wa- you know, come to the game ahead of time to watch. So he knows how to create space and he knows how to position himself to create those open shots. So I think there's just this relatability um, that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I look for um, when, uh, when I look for somebody to work with is from a pro perspective is what's relatable. So like, you know, the Bryans not, you know, even though that they're six, four and they're amazing athletes, they are by their own admission, not as uh, good as some of the singles players mm-hmm. and Gigi by her own admission, you know, wasn't the greatest singles player, um, but knew how to play well and knew how to use positioning to her advantage, made her one of the greatest doubles players of all time. And Martina, who was a fabulous athlete, one of the greatest athletes of all time, but also figured out how to have that longevity where she was not the best athlete on the court towards the end of her career. So she figured something out. All those things are relatable. Mm-hmm. And and all those um, skills from those people are things that uh, Martina or Gigi or Brian's can share in a way that's helpful to someone, mm-hmm. right? It's not hit as hard as you can. It's, well, here's what happened to me as I got older and I lost a step, so I changed. I went from sticking my volleys to taking pace off, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's great. I mean, it's really a really important observation that, you know, can really, you can help a lot more people if you find, you know, experts who are more relatable. So, um, yeah, Yeah. good on you guys for doing that. Um, You know, a couple other questions for you. Um, I know, you know, you're a student of the game and and you've learned so much and, and teach so much. What are, you know, some of your favorite books and or resources besides FYB <laughs> for us to, you know, to help Everything us? Everything else is terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, resources or books. <laughs> for, for tennis? Yeah. Yeah. Or it could be outside of tennis that you think would help tennis players. There's a, yeah, there's a good book called With Winning in Mind by Lanny Bassham, B-A-S-S-H-A-M. So the guy was uh, a gold medalist, Olympic shooter. He basically wanted to be a professional athlete, but was not a good athlete. You know, I think he was short, skinny, and, you know, slow or something like that. Mm. So he took up shooting, which didn't require any of those abilities. And in the late 70s, I think posted the lowest shooting score or the highest shooting score, whichever one it is ever. And he's taken what he did uh, and basically it was all about mental control Mm. and performing at your peak. So that one is a really good book. I learned a lot from that about the concept of outcome versus process. People tend to focus on outcomes, holding the trophy. Uh, or losing the match. What are my teammates going to think? And that screws you up. When you start thinking about that, you, you, your performance bombs. Um, and his whole thing is focus on the process about what's step one, step two, step three, always stay 
focus on the process, kind of like the GPS in your car. You pull out of the driveway, it tells you to turn left, then it tells you to turn right, then it here's a detour, do this, that, whatever. It doesn't say you're here, Chipotle's there, good luck. <laughs> you got to get that burrito, man. Sorry, yeah, so good. I know that's, that's your favorite meal, huh? It's pretty good. Pretty brown rice, black beans, uh, guacamole, hot sauce, uh, chicken. Right, right. No sour cream. Nah, it's bad for you, man. Yeah, yeah. He's got Mark told you that, right? Is that right? I'm pretty sure uh, just life in general has told me. <laughs> yeah, I don't think yeah. that one requires a scientist. to. <laughs> I don't need the insights of a PhD to know that sour cream and cheese probably aren't the best. You just want to make sure they're so delicious. You know? I, I agree. With, I'm not disagreeing. It's great. <laughs> but is it good for you? <laughs> probably. Yeah. Ah, fine. I believe you. Um, the yeah, last one, actually, one of my favorite from Lanny Bassan. Actually, this might have been, you know what? I, I Lanny, my, I, Lanny is if I am funny with the guy. Um, he might have, yeah, he might have said this, but the direct quote is from Dean Graziosi, who I heard him speak once. He's a real estate guy. Mm. Um, now he's into like self-help kind of Tony Robbins-esque stuff. But he um, he has this line, which is you can only perform up to your level of confidence. Uh, so if your ability is here, but your confidence is here, you're only going to be there, right? So you'll always play at your level of confidence. So you have to be very careful about protecting it. So that was his line, you need to protect your confidence. And I've always remembered that because I thought it was such a brilliant line. And if you listen to the uh, whenever somebody wins a major for the first time and they get interviewed, they always say the same thing. Somebody's like, well, what made you think that you could finally beat this player or win this tournament? And they say, well, I finally believed in myself. And what they're saying is I finally had the confidence that I could do it. So that's literally, everybody says that I had belief. So I think, um, and that's where with winning in mind and, you know, a bunch of other, you know, fearless tennis, Jeff Greenwald, Yep, um, is yeah oh, there you go listen to John I mean, his stuff's great um, yeah. is uh, it, it's all about how do you protect your confidence and then Jeff will get more granular in terms of how do you actually do that um, I love Jeff's con- concept because his whole thing is fearless tennis but it doesn't mean uh, have you already interviewed Jeff yeah oh you did oh so you can't ask him to shoot because his whole thing we've talked about this is fearless tennis doesn't mean you get rid of fear. Like you can still be scared to death and all the top pros and you're playing for Wimbledon title. You're still, you're still frightened, but it's how do you play up to your ability despite the fact that you're terrified. Mm-hmm. It reminds me actually, there's a guy named Michael Haig, I think is the guy's name. He's a screenwriter. Mm. Nothing to do with tennis. He's a screenwriter. But he says like all these uh, these movies where the hero finally transforms into the person he or she has been trying to become over the course of the uh, the movie is when they stop trying to avoid being afraid and they stop running away from the fear of change and they step into doing whatever it is they need to do despite the fact that they're terrified to do it. That's the transformation. And so um, I think for everybody watching, like think of yourself as like Neo from the Matrix. Like that whole movie is literally the whole time Morpheus is saying, all you need to do is believe that you're the one. And then when he finally turns to face Agent Smith, Neo or Morpheus says to whoever the other person, it might have been Trinity, was like, what is he doing? And he says he's beginning to believe. So that movie literally is like the most base form of what the transformation is. It's like you just easier said than done believing in yourself. Go talk to Jeff about how to actually do that. But I always found that interesting is like the t- tennis parallels what happens in movies. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's, that's really great advice. Uh, it's actually pretty inspiring too. I didn't know that you were that inspiring, uh, Will. I mean, like when you were talking, I was just like, damn, you know, I need this, you know, to develop my confidence and like crush people. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's great stuff. I appreciate that advice. 
Um, and, you know, obviously, at least for those who haven't been exposed to, you know, what you do, um, I just want to kind of educate the audience about, about you and FYB. So can you tell us like, you know, more about Fuzzy Yellow Balls and, and kind of like your, your mission for, you know, the, the company as well? Yeah, man. I mean, it, it, shoot, it was probably 2006 now, 2006, 2007, YouTube was just getting started. I saw an instructional video on there that had 55,000 views and I was like, I bet I could do this. So I called up Adam who was living in Tucson at the time and I said, there was actually Phoenix, I said, hey, you wanna come back and start a tennis website in my parents' basement? And we literally were in my parents' basement shooting through like a door to film videos on a green screen. Um, That's how we got started uploading videos to YouTube. People started watching them to everyone's shock, my parents, mine, everyone pretty much. When you tell some, like people don't realize 10 years ago when you're like, yeah, I'm making internet tennis videos. People are like, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> you know, I've had so many people like, wait, that works? What? <laughs> Who? How does tennis on the internet work? So anyway, um, so that, you know, the, the mission is simply help adult players, recreational players play better. I, I think uh, um, not so much now, but particularly a decade ago and certainly two decades before uh prior um, access to quality information. Not to say that there wasn't quality information. I think a lot of people didn't have access to it because they didn't live near a good coach or they didn't necessarily get different perspectives. I mean, the biggest thing for me is working with all these experts, I get a ton of different perspectives and you sort of pick and choose stuff and figure out what works for you. So that's the mission, man, is just uh, work with a lot of great, which what you're doing, right? You're bringing a bunch of people together, getting different perspectives. Everybody watching is going to take a couple nuggets away and incorporate what works for them. And everybody's takeaways are probably going to be different. And I think that's really powerful because you people can find what works for them. Yeah, thanks. Well, I mean, you know, obviously just kind of trying to follow in your footsteps. But yeah, it's just uh, all the great information you put out is, uh, I mean, I just fully endorse like people checking it out. It's really powerful stuff, like amazing tips and uh, great stuff. And so, I mean, like, I just want to also like tell people like, where is the best place like to check out your stuff online? Yeah, I would just go to fuzzyyellowballs.com. We're, we're going through, a, we're changing the logo we got the stripes back there uh, so here's a funny thing uh, uh, Adam didn't want me to bring this up but I'm totally bringing this up because I think it's hilarious uh, this is so there's there's the, the blue then there's white yellow and then dark blue that order is wrong we painted this in the wrong <laughs> order it's supposed to be white dark blue yellow uh, and we just like totally messed it up and I kind of want to leave it though because it's just funny yeah that's you know, and we'll see if people pick it out, um, you know, with like the other branding. I'm like, wait, I think those colors are ordered incorrectly. Like, which one's right? But anyway, it's a process, man. Perfect's the enemy of the good. Exactly. <laughs> you just got to start and do it and then improve from there. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. And so, like, what's the best place for people to connect with you? Or, you know, I don't know if you have, like, social accounts or, you know. Yeah, the there's, uh, I mean, probably the, if you want to, like, it would be Facebook, like, facebook.com slash fuzzy yellow balls. And then it would be D-O-T, like, dot spelled out, mm. C-O-M. So just spell it out. Don't actually put the dot in there. Um, and then just send us a Facebook message. You nice. know, we're putting on top of that stuff. Sweet, sweet, man. I appreciate that. And so, uh, are there any, you know, projects or you know, big things that you want to like just mention, uh, that, that you're working on or anything? Uh, we're just, um, we just, uh, we're teaching a class right now called the singles playbook. It's just, you know, you know, how do you, so other sports, right? Like soccer, football, basketball, all those teams have playbooks, you know, soccer teams run, run plays, score goals, football teams run plays, score touchdowns, basketball teams run plays to, um, uh, score baskets. And you can do the exact same thing in tennis, 
And this is sort of one of those examples. So like Bob and Mike were the first to be like, we run plays. Like we're not just out there hitting. Like we are trying to get the secret sauce volley where we hit down every time. And here's how we do it in all these situations. So that was back in 2011. And ever since then, I've been sort of like taking these, you know, itemizing all these plays and, and structuring them. So we're teaching this class for uh, singles now. We're going to do uh, an updated doubles one, uh, doubles playbook very soon. But that's sort of our focus right now. Because I think that's a, uh, an area a lot of people, people tend to focus a ton on technique. And, and technique's great, but they kind of obsess over it to the detriment of other areas of the game where they work on their technique, they obsess and then they lose to somebody who doesn't hit as well as they do because they don't run plays. Right. And I think the perfect example is like you lose to a pusher, like strokes are ugly, but they're beating you. And you're like, why is that happening? Um, a pusher actually runs a very rudimentary play called trench warfare, which is basically like, imagine, you know, you're in your trench, I'm here. And then no man's land is very dangerous to go across and you know like pushers tend to work at like the 3035 level where it's hard for people to come in and really put away a short ball yep. so that's that dangerous no man land like once you get to 4 figure like 4-5 you're going to beat a pusher you know there aren't any pushers at the 4-5 level they are now counter punchers who are you know technically sound players who will hurt you if you leave a ball hanging. But at, at the 3-0, 3-5, and even 4-0 level, two trenches here, most players, if you're if this is you, are trying to advance, and now you're in no man's land, that's dangerous. So the trick is to actually get the pusher out of their trench and pull them into no man's land. But, the, you know, what play do you run to do that? And most people aren't even aware of that, right? You know, they're focused on their strokes and not realizing that the pusher is holding them back here, and you're trying to out-hit from your own trench, right? Not going to work. Right. Good stuff. Yeah. And I, I mean, I saw, you know, some of those uh, the preview videos and uh, again, like I had learned a lot even from those. So uh, it's a great, great, great. I mean, just overall, like the programs you're, you're running are fantastic. And, uh, you know, I, we have a, uh, yeah, sure. And, and so we have links below this video, obviously, and I highly encourage you all to check out um, Will's stuff at fuzzyyellowballs.com and, and other, other sites as well. Um, you know, social media and all, uh, whatnot. Facebook page. Come say hi. Yeah, for sure. And so before I let you go, and you know, obviously we've been talking for a while and I really do appreciate your time because you know, I know you're such a busy guy um, and you're, you're creating things every day, but um, can you give us one key actionable tip uh, to our audience to help them improve their tennis games? Besides call the lines are really close. Besides that one. Yeah, you know, I mean, something Just, more ethical. You know, when in doubt, <laughs> it's out. <laughs> Man, why don't I just, what? I think the game we play when we hit, that's, that's the, so, so tug of war, right? So Mirabon and I play, we start at five. I'm trying to get to 10. Mirabon's trying to get to zero. So here's how the game works. Just drop and hit. There's no service. It's over and back. If I win the point, it goes to six. If I win the point, it goes to seven. If Mirabon wins the next point, it goes down to six. If he wins the next point, it goes to five. It goes to four. So it's literally like this tug of war back and forth. And A, that game will get you an unbelievable shit. Having some of our games gone, like, it sounds simple getting to 10 or to zero. It's gone for like a half hour. Totally. You know, I think more. Ba- I know. Battling. I think we played like one game and we're like, let's quit. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it grooves your strokes, right? Because you hit so many balls that a your time you get your timing back if you haven't played in a while, or you sharpen your timing, and you gotta you gotta think out there. I mean, I remember the first t- couple times we played, uh, like you beat me pretty soundly um, because I was you were with your forehand, so I just, I think I changed things up. Yeah. The next time, right? Like I, st- I started going through the middle more because you were hooking me off the court too much. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a great game. I appreciate that tip. And like, yeah, and I, I personally noticed that I felt like eventually after it went a while, I really felt like I was in like in a match because, you know, you get to that point where you're you're tired, you know, and you're gasping for air, but you yeah. got to you got to put it all out there and uh, move your feet, you know, even though you don't want to. So it's, it's, a, it's well, a great game. That's a that's a good point because it actually makes you mentally tough. Like a, like a drop and hit. If we're playing to 11 or we're playing to 21 or 7, whatever, there's a finish line, right? I, one point away from 7. But there, the finish line is when, is when somebody gets to 0 or somebody gets to 10. So how many times have we played? I've been at 9 or you've been at 1. And then he's back at 5. Three shots. And so you got to be mentally tough and close it out. Totally. Uh, I learned that game to give props from Lawson Duncan, who I think he got to 47 in the world. He's probably 53 now. Coached in Asheville, North Carolina. Look him up if uh, if you're ever down there. But he used to play this game with Yvonne Lendl. So Lawson made it to the fourth round of the French, I think in 89 lost to V-Lander. Uh, but he used to play this game with Lendl all the time. Wow. Yeah. Pretty cool. So then he talked to me. I was like, this is this game is awesome. Wow. And I played it with him and, I, you know, doesn't doesn't go great. <laughs> doesn't go great. Yeah, he's a pretty good player, you know. Yeah, but, um, decent. Yeah. Yeah, decent. Um, uh, Will, uh, you know, obviously, I can't thank you enough. You spent a, a lot of time with us today and gave us a lot of really fantastic, you know, tips and advice and like really, you know, insider insights that, you know, you don't get every day because you spent so much time with these uh, wonderful and like elite people. Um, so I want to thank you so much and, you know, really appreciate like all the content you've constantly been churning out um, for everybody. And it's, it's, fantastic the highest quality content out there i can say that without a doubt um and so you all should definitely check out uh you know will stuff at fuzzy yellow balls and the uh the links are below this video so just click them please click them um so uh yeah will thanks so much and uh, looking forward to hitting soon man yeah man um you're, you're <laughs> you've just been coming out of the summit you probably have all these new insights so um <laughs> Uh, I'm not looking forward to being on the receiving end, but uh, thanks for having me. Uh, this this is uh, fun to do. Um, um, hopefully, folks watching got something out of it. So thank you, everybody, for uh, watching and taking the time. But it's great to be here. Thanks so much, Will. All right. I really hope you enjoyed my interview with my friend, Will Hamilton. I hope you learned a lot from this episode. And like I said, you know, hopefully you took some notes and you will implement some of the great tips that we'll share today. And I know I will. I'm actually excited to be back in town again. I actually went to a little getaway with my parents uh, in Ocean City. Uh, It's very quiet there, but it actually was uh, fairly warm, I'd say, in the 60s and 70s. Just a quick getaway. I I can't get enough of that beautiful ocean uh, sound and, uh, you know, the, the sound of the waves it's very calming, so I always uh, love hanging out with my parents, who I'm super close with. I'm uh, very thankful to share great moments with them, and uh, they're definitely a big source of my success and motivation. I wouldn't be here without them, for sure. Uh, so shout out to them. And yeah, like I said, happy for John. Get better each day, 1% each day, and continue great habits, and I wish the same for you all. And so if you enjoyed this episode and you enjoy the podcast, I would highly appreciate it if you would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast. And you can do that by hitting the big, juicy subscribe button in your favorite podcast app that you use to listen to the show, whether that's on iTunes, which you can go to tennisfiles.com slash iTunes. Actually, to be honest, I know Apple now has, a well, it's probably been a while, but they have a podcast app. 
So I, I think they still have iTunes too, but in any case, it'll be super easy. Just search the Tennis Files podcast if you're having any trouble and then subscribe. I'd really appreciate that. And it would be a good advantage to you as well, because then you would instantly receive the newest episodes as they are published every single Wednesday, uh, every week. And that's definitely significantly easier than searching for and and then clicking on, which is also easy too, but I, I recommend you subscribe and would appreciate that. And I also would like to leave you with a quote, as I often like to do at the end of the podcast. And this one is actually by an anonymous individual. Uh, and this quote is, keep your goals away from the trolls. I mean, personally, that's probably Shakespeare because that was one heck of a poetic rhyme there, but eh, maybe not. But uh, in any case, I really am excited for you because if you're listening to this podcast, I know that you are more than likely very passionate about improving your tennis game. And I highly encourage you to uh, just keep going no matter what any plateaus that you might hit always know that there's a way and a solution for everything. So seek mentors, seek uh, the highest quality material and content that you can out there to improve your game. And yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to be hitting with Will Hamilton tomorrow, um, at least from the date that I record this outro here. So that'll be a lot of fun. And um, yeah, so I hope you have a wonderful week, month, and year and beyond. And I'm also working hard on Tennis Summit 2019. As I've mentioned probably a kajillion times, it's not a real numerical number, however you want to say that. But I have been working super hard uh, in the morning and then after my full-time job. And it's been really rewarding and I've added some great coaches on recently, most notably uh, Rick Machi who's a great guy and he is committed to making the time to make an appearance on the podcast or I'm sorry on the summit and I really super duper <laughs> appreciate all the emails that I got from you all I got so many emails after sending an email out to you all asking who, who you'd like to appear on the summit and I got some great suggestions all of which I'm taking very seriously it's just a matter of who has what expertise and you know obviously I have a finite capacity to <laughs> to interview and uh, and and uh, publish or you know release these these uh, interviews and presentations you know I can't do obviously like a, a ton of them I mean I'm doing 30 plus for sure but there's only so much I can do as far as that so I will very highly examine or I guess seriously examine all of the requests out there and figure out who's the best fit and how many I can take and so just know that whether I take your suggestion or whether I take you because there's been some self nominations as well. I really do appreciate everyone's suggestions. And also, if I can't get anybody on the summit, anybody being any of the suggestions on the summit, then I will alternatively consider having them on the podcast at least. And, you know, maybe in the future, getting them on another summit at some point or some other, you know, YouTube video or alternative format. So, with all that being said, more blabber mouth for me. Uh, uh, <laughs> I wish you all the best and thank you so much for listening to this episode and I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, everyone. 
Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.